So thank you for taking time to answer your, our questions. Uh, could you please speak about your current field of research and the main research questions you are focusing on in this moment? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I am uh, a senior economist at the World Bank and I uh, split my time very much between research and operations. And uh, I focus on uh, a range of topics, I would say. Um, one of which is the role of social protection in humanitarian contexts uh, and the links with humanitarian assistance. Another one is um, how should social assistance adapt in uh, urban areas? Um, um, the link between uh, social assistance and labor market policies. And uh, we also have a new research program trying to understand um, the opportunities and limitations with universal basic income as a social protection intervention. Uh, what are the challenges and opportunities of conducting research in cash transfer or other social protection programs in fragile crisis contexts? Um, well, um, I think that first of all, um, the evidence base on, on, on cash transfers has, has grown enormously uh, in recent years. Um, it's true that most of it, uh, most of it stems from um, stable contexts uh, and developmental um, um, settings. But at the same time, um, we see that some countries have been able also to conduct uh, rigorous research in uh, um, highly volatile environments. Um, recently, for instance, there has been um, a set of uh, randomized controlled trials um, in countries like uh, Niger, uh, Yemen, uh, northern Uganda. Um, so in general, research is possible, um, although there, there are of course a number of challenges. Uh, when we look at displacement and people move, you go and collect the data and you go to the follow-up survey, number of people may not be um, located where they previously were, uh, people move. Um, it's, it's quite uh, expensive sometimes, especially when you um, have some of these more uh, rigorous scientific uh, methods. Um, and I think that, uh, but research is not just about randomized controlled trials, which are, are very useful, but um, there, are, there, are, there is an array of different methods and uh, uh, the bank, for instance, has been um, supporting um, uh, several research projects in, in fragile contexts. I think also that my colleague Paolo uh, he epitomizes that. He's, have, um, he's launching a new research grant just to focus on those um, settings. Is this a neglected area of research in your uh, opinion? You mean cash transfers in uh, uh, social fragile? protection in uh, fragile humanitarian context? Is, is, there a, is, it, is it, it is a relatively new area of research and perhaps not much investment has been de devoted to that area. Um, uh, okay, so there are, there are various factors that may help explain that. Um, 
uh, one of those factors um, relates to the nature of humanitarian assistance itself. Um, oftentimes, is for life-saving purposes, um, tends to be short-term. Um, by design and because of the urgency of needs, um, it tends to uh, perhaps put an emphasis on timeliness of assistance um, and uh, uh, thereby a number of uh, uh, interesting research questions, uh, especially you know, medium term impacts and longer term impacts, um, may not necessarily be consistent with the principles of assistance at the moment it is designed. But at the same time, in contexts where you have protracted uh, humanitarian assistance, um, I think that there has been uh, a growing recognition that this is an important um, uh, research, it's important to accompany, accompany uh, implementation with research and even institutions like uh, the World Food Program has, uh, I think has increased investments in those kind of um, um, uh, initiatives and uh, the set of randomized controlled trials that I mentioned earlier were indeed supported by uh, the World Food Program and largely in you know, unstable and, and fragile contexts. Uh, what is your experience in collecting data? Is there a trade-off between uh, urgency and quality? How can we address that? Yes, I, I think that speaks directly to what um, I just mentioned. Um, maybe, may, I, I wouldn't say there is, uh, there is a trade-off between urgency and quality per se, uh, but urgency and um, um, uh, longer-term impacts. Um, I think you could still very much do quality work, um, even in short timeframes. Um, there are well-devised protocols for data collection in emergency cases. And also let's remember that um, in, in a number of contexts, um, uh, um, governments um, have information systems and have conducted surveys you know, before um, uh, uh, shocks hit. Um, so one doesn't have to, ha to establish a baseline every time. And um, um, that also speaks to uh, the opportunities that having a um, national social protection system in place before shocks hit also presents for research purposes. Um, so uh, the emergence and the growth of uh, instruments like social registries, which um, uh, capture information uh, about beneficiaries on a um, range of dimensions. They're not surveys, but they include data. Um, uh, can often be useful also for evaluation purposes uh, when those contexts are hit by shocks. And we see more and more um, uh, investment in those kind of interventions also in fragile contexts. Um. What are the main pros and cons for administering social protection programs in humanitarian settings? Um, what are the advantages and the constraints? So um, let me mention perhaps from the outset that um, what we see is that uh, most of humanitarian assistance, almost in Entirely, it's entirely. Uh, most of the international flows of humanitarian assistance um, tend uh, not 
to be delivered through national structures. Um, there are various estimates out there, but um, about 2% of humanitarian assistance goes through national structures. So in many cases, uh, that is because of uh, uh, legislation and uh, it's necessary to have a parallel system, for instance, in supporting refugees with cash transfers, some governments will not use their own domestic resources to do it. Um, but um, uh, in general, there are uh, pros and cons with establishing a parallel system. Um, on one hand, it's more nimble, perhaps, and uh, um, uh, maybe um, uh, smoother to administer uh, because it follows basically the protocols, well-established protocols of uh, humanitarian agencies. And, um, uh, but on, on the other hand, I think the, it's important that those parallel systems and national structures uh, converge and that uh, uh, more and more we see, we see that they start sharing administrative information and um, um, uh, administrative systems like um, inf uh, integrated uh, data management systems about uh, beneficiaries. Um, and in a number of cases, humanitarian assistance has built on programs that were established by the government. Um, so in that case, um, uh, when, when you have a parallel system, um, costs may be pretty high. So you have to reach remote locations that's expensive. Ensuring uh, presence in insecure environments is, is costly, uh, but it's necessary. Um, but in context where you do have established structure in place, um, it, it, it is more cost efficient to use those to the extent that they can reach those areas and, and populations. And uh, um, uh, so whether something um, it's uh, more or less um, uh, costly, largely depends on what is in place in, uh, and whether governments do have structures that humanitarians can build upon and through which assistance could be channeled or whether um, uh, temporary parallel arrangements need to be put in place. Uh, what do we know about how program design components impact on uh, dimensions of well-being of those we are assisting, the people we are assisting? Um, well, there is um, uh, social assistance can come in many forms and many designs. Um, it can come as uh, an unconditional income transfer uh, of food commodities, which is the most prevalent form of assistance in humanitarian context. It can come as an unconditional cash transfer uh, program, and we see that is also growing, though it still represents about 6% um, of the whole humanitarian portfolio. Um, it, can be, it can be cash or food for work, so labor-intensive works. Um, it could be a conditional um, cash transfer, um, uh, basically um, uh, conditioning the provision of cash to um, certain activities, sending kids to school and uh, to health centers, um, or it could be in programs like school feeding, which are a form of conditional income transfer. And uh, depending on uh, which intervention is used, there 
impact and, and cost differ substantially. Um, so we know, for instance, there is a um, lot of debate around whether um, transfers should, should be conditioned or not, and uh, uh, is it more cost-effective to provide people with conditional cash transfers or unconditional cash transfers. Uh, what we know, there was uh, a recent systematic review of the evidence, which shows that um, uh, conditional cash transfers uh, may cost a little more, but um, they tend to be more effective in uh, um, generating impacts on education. Um, but unconditional cash transfers, because they, they don't require all those um, uh, supplementary activities, tend to cost a little bit less and are perhaps uh, easier to implement. Um, um, uh, but they're also increasingly um, complemented by accompanying measures, which means activities that people are not compelled um, to uh, pursue, uh, but nevertheless are provided to communities and households, like information campaigns on nutrition. Um, and uh, so while not um, uh, representing a requirement per se, they, they still have an implication in terms of costs. Um, but in general, if we look at across all these different dimensions, I think we, um, we know a lot about impacts, um, a bit less on comparative costs. So um, I think that will be an important research question for the future on how to develop a consistent uh, cost protocol um, that um, the, of the standards of impact evaluations like you know, uh, randomized controlled trials. So having um, an equal high standard for cost comparisons um, that could inform um, what is the comparative cost effectiveness of all those alternative uh, design variants uh, that could be applied for different objectives and different contexts. So you just mentioned one future or uh, research knowledge gap, but is there any other that uh, you might want to mention about uh, uh, social protection in a fragile context uh, that could be useful to investigate? And sure. Um, I think we live in a in a world that is rapidly urbanizing and that um, in, in just in, in 2030, uh, there are gonna be 2.4 billion people um, uh, joining cities and that uh, still we don't know much about how to adapt, adapt both humanitarian assistance and um, social assistance to urban contexts. There is a generation of uh, new programs, but looking at the scale of the challenge uh, I think that would be an important um, uh, area to pursue in terms of research. And it would be very useful both for informing the social protection agenda, but also the humanitarian assistance agenda. When we think of influx of refugees or internally displaced populations, um, we think about mobile populations and uh, how to make benefits portable. And it's very much, uh, we see a similar discussion unfolding for seasonal migrants, people that migrate from rural areas to urban areas on a permanent or, or a temporary basis. But you see the same discussions on 
um, how to make weather and how to make uh, benefits portable for people on the move. Um, uh, it, it also, I think, um, uh, um, requires us to think a bit further on how to connect social protection to the broader urban development agenda. Um, people that um, uh, receive assistance oftentimes are the working poor, um, uh, full day working mothers that commute, um, and uh, that perhaps live in a, a, a low-income area and work somewhere else, which means that we really need to situate uh, the whole discussion on social protection as part of housing policy, how does it fit with transportation. Um, so it, it, it really um, requires us to better integrate both social assistance and humanitarian assistance within the broader, uh, a better understanding of the capacity of cities to withstand pressures, whether they are from refugees, from IDPs, from migrants, or for, from just the natural growth of, of cities per se. Um, that's, I think, is an important area. And, uh, and how can we improve this evidence in, in, in this uh, area of research in social protection? Uh, how would you uh, suggest we can uh, make this research more, really more, more strong and, and, and stronger and, and more I think there is um, an, in an increasing demand to understand um, what works in uh, um, uh, urban contexts. What and let's remember that displacement again is largely an urban crisis. Um, so um, we heard also during the conference in, in several sessions there was a demand of um, is there any systematic um, uh, review, any, um, um, any uh, core knowledge about best practices on how to adapt uh, social protection in cities? And I think there is something that is emerging at the moment, but we are not, uh, it's a far cry from the kind of standard practices and state-of-the-art knowledge that we have for uh, rural and some of the peri-urban contexts. And um, um, again, it's, um, it's part of uh, a broader process of the urbanization of poverty. It's something that uh, countries gonna face very soon. Um, we see a number of cities in Africa that are quadrupling in size um, and uh, just in a few years. Um, and it, it's often framed as an either or. Um, you, if you focus more on urban areas, it means that you focus less in rural areas. I, I think that's a uh, false dichotomy because um, uh, if we look at um, the migration patterns and how the structural transformation pathway of, of countries, they're very much connected. So um, maybe the issue is how to support um, uh, a rural um, household or rural household member that wants to migrate and take a chance in cities by providing portable benefits. Or uh, if we look at more the receiving end uh, on households that want to 
pursue upward mobility, how to provide a basic safety net for them in terms of um, housing or training or other labor activation measures to connect them to urban jobs, which oftentimes are quite different in nature from those that uh, people are used, were used to have before. Um, so I think that um, so far uh, the debate on uh, how to best address the displacement um, uh, um, crisis has been dealt very much in humanitarian terms. And uh, uh, if we are looking at a more developmental uh, approach to it, I think uh, it, it will be difficult to separate that out from uh, this broader urban agenda since displacement is indeed an urban crisis. So how can research help to bridge this humanitarian development divide, if any? Well, research has a key role to play in, in not only this agenda, and I'll tell you in a second why, but um, I think more widely, if we look at the spread of social protection globally, um, think just of one form uh, of social assistance, conditional cash transfers. In 1998, there were three countries that had that form of intervention. Now they are over 65. And uh, um, uh, evidence played a key role in the spread of those interventions. Careful evaluation of both the program impacts and costs, their design, um, how well are they targeting uh, populations in need, how to adapt design to different contexts, and the fact that countries have been uh, gathering to share those lessons. Uh, there are a number of forums uh, that provide that opportunity worldwide. So I think research uh, and the spread of research has uh, really grown enorm enormously. And I, I think um, a recent report by the, um, uh, evaluation, uh, the independent evaluation group at the World Bank uh, started its um, uh, um, flagship report on the assessment of the bank's performance in social protection, saying that basically social assistance is one of the best evaluated fields in social policy. Um, then the problem is how to make that evidence relevant to more fragile contexts and uh, um, how to generate um, uh, compelling evidence from those contexts per se. Um, which goes back uh, to the issues that we discussed earlier on um, whether and how we can have a solid evaluation framework from the start, from the beginning of humanitarian assistance, or whether we can piggyback on national structures and use some of the information base that is pre-existent. Um, now, to address the the, uh, the concept of success and successful uh, approaches. How, how would you define success for a particular program in a in, in fragile context? What does it mean to have an, a successful approach? Uh, well, it's, it's a difficult question. Um, uh, I would say that in a, in a, in a situation of crisis, um, whether it's protracted or, or, or sudden, um, certainly reaching the people, the intended beneficiaries, is already 
of intent the utmost, um, uh, the, the objective of utmost importance. Um, so really having access to areas and uh, being able to deliver benefits to um, target populations is already per se a, um, uh, an untrivial challenge. Um, second is, of course, to try to reach populations with the most appropriate intervention. So whether uh, we want to use um, uh, an in-kind transfer or a cash transfer very much depends on uh, where these populations live and whether they're reached by markets um, uh, or whether you know, the injection of cash could be used to, to purchase um, goods and services that are available. So very much need to understand uh, whether markets are working in those contexts so that could inform decision making. So first, reaching populations. Second, reaching them with the right interventions. Um, um, uh, third, I think that it's important, especially in a uh, um, situation of um, uh, displacement, to um, make sure that there is a uh, uh, good integration uh, and connection to host communities. Um, uh, that's also an issue that has been raised repeatedly here at the conference and um, um, uh, especially since displacement is an urban crisis, um, it's important that people that receive assistance and that live side by side, but that assistance may not generate uh, social tensions. Um, we have seen in, in Lebanon, for instance, that uh, refugees uh, receive the humanitarian assistance through vouchers and that uh, in the same neighborhood, um, Lebanese citizens that felt equally vulnerable uh, also started claiming for, for assistance, which led the government to, to provide um, um, transfers to them as well. Um, so I think that uh, these three basic considerations uh, would largely define success in a humanitarian context. What actions uh, by external partners or international organization and possibly UNICEF uh, help or hinder effective social protection outcomes in fragile context in your opinion? I think that uh, partners like UNICEF are of critical importance in humanitarian contexts. Again, oftentimes governments um, cannot reach uh, vulnerable populations uh, during crisis and it's really important that assistance is complemented by um, uh, humanitarian action and UNICEF is uh, one of the lead agencies for that. I think that UNICEF is increasingly investing in uh, research and operations to better connect the provision of humanitarian assistance to uh, social protection systems. And um, uh, UNICEF in particular has uh, this dual capacity of having a strong field presence and uh, uh, delivering on the humanitarian, uh, on the on humanitarian principles, um, on the humanitarian imperative, but at the same time it has a nuanced understanding of national systems. So I think that it would be uh, very important for uh, the humanitarian community um, to um, have a shared understanding of 
how far can government structures go? And, and then try to build assistance, humanitarian assistance on it as an additional leg and try to do that in a way that is as compatible as possible with what exists, uh, what governments provide. Um, just to illustrate this point, um, uh, databases and information systems uh, for beneficiaries, um, sometimes we see that every project has its own database and uh, uh, we may end up uh, serving uh, the same person with three different interventions that don't speak to each other. And uh, I think that uh, in, in, in the spirit of uh, what Stefan Durkan uh, talked about yesterday, uh, planning is important. Um, and the more we can invest in preparedness measures, including down to administrative details and um, be ready to understand uh, whether I need really a humanitarian assistance or can government programs be enough? Or if not, then most likely it won't. Uh, how can I uh, provide um, cash transfers, for instance, in a way that is as much as aligned with uh, those national structures as possible? The last question mm. is the evidence about uh, cash the role of cash transfer in humanitarian uh, context. What, what enough? So, do we have enough evidence, and uh, what is this evidence? Uh, we we never have enough evidence. <laughs> uh, I I think that uh, one big gap is costs, but in, in two ways. The first is um, uh, being able to quantify how much would it cost to get assistance to those people and to have that certain outcome. Um, that would be important so to make choices on what kind of design is most effective. But I think it's also important because it uh, helps interpret how difficult it is to work in certain environments. If we want um, uh, humanitarians to be able to uh, provide assistance that would help to stabilize highly fragile environments or highly unstable environments, um, that is expensive. And um, um, sometimes when we uh, just look at costs and they may look high, uh, we need to understand that you know, what would be the alternative? And uh, um, uh, withdrawing from certain contexts may cause more harm than good. And you know, getting assistance to places that have no electricity, um, no connectivity, um, highly vulnerable um, to violence is expensive. And um, I think we need, though, to rightly interpret those costs as a cost of uh, ensuring some basic level of stability. But on the other hand, I do think that just like we have lots of evidence on the comparative impacts of different interventions, we have much less evidence on the comparative cost effectiveness of those interventions. And I think here there is a very important agenda to, help, uh, to try to standardize some protocols on how we look at costs uh, 
uh, across not only interventions but also agencies. Each agency has its own cost structure, the bank has its own, UNICEF has its own. We all have different cost structures and sometimes it's hard uh, to compare and to attribute a given cost to a given intervention. And I think that's though is something that um, we need to improve moving forward. It would be an important area.